seven, Stan Phillips. Good morning, Met fans. How we doing? Happy Sunday to you. Beautiful day in the New York area. Wish we could say it was a beautiful game for uh, the Metsies yesterday, but it was a tough one. Losing to the Diamondbacks, one of the worst teams in baseball, is never a good thing. But it's a road game, and we still have the best record in baseball, so we're always going to lose a game or two like that. It was a 5-2 loss, and for one of the few days this season, the Mets really got nothing going offensively. And uh, after taking game one against the Diamondbacks on Friday and extra innings, the Mets just couldn't muster enough offense on Saturday. So, what are you going to do? Uh, it was a bullpen game. Due to a doubleheader earlier in the week, the Mets were forced to go to a bullpen game, which meant that Trevor Williams made his first start of the season. But from the beginning, Williams looked shaky, giving up two runs, two two singles in the first thing for a potential double play ball was dropped by Pete Alonzo, then scored the game's first run. That scored the game's first run, I should say. Didn't get much better for Williams in the second after four straight singles after the first out played his second run. Cattell Marte's RBI ground out. He's probably the best player on the Diamondbacks. Scored the third run in the game, and the Mets were quickly down 3 nothing. Now, Williams finished his night by giving up a double to Christian Walker to start the third inning for giving way to Sean Reed Foley. Williams pitched 2.0 innings and allowed four earned runs on seven hits. And I actually think his time is going to be limited. If he makes it to the end of the year, I'd be shocked. I think there's just too many other arms that deserve a shot besides Trevor Williams. Now, after allowing his inherited run to score in the third inning, Reed Foley settled down and pitched 2.2 clean innings, a two-hit ball, before exiting with a leg injury in the fifth. With Seth Beer at first base and Paven Smith at the plate, Smith lined one off of Beer who couldn't get out of the way. But as Reed Foley ran towards first base, he pulled up and started limping. The team announced that Reed Foley left with leg cramps, so that's not too bad. The Metsies actually got something going against pitcher Huberto Castellanos in the fifth inning when Dom Smith doubled down the right field line to start the inning. Now, after a Robbie Cano ground out moved him over to third, Jeff McDeal hit a ball almost in the exact spot at Smith and it legged, it out, legged it out for an RBI triple. McNeil was motoring. A batter later, Thomas Nito beat out an infield single to score McNeil, and that cut the Diamondbacks' lead in half. Now, able to stay away from their top relievers, the Mets' bullpen actually pitched very well in relief of Williams. Adam Montevito tossed 1.1 innings, giving up two hits while striking out three. Joey Rodriguez pitched a scoreless seventh inning, and I'm glad to see that because I'm not sold on Rodriguez at this point. And Adonis Medina, who was called up from Triple A Syracuse prior to the game for more relief depth, made his Met debut and was rather impressive. He struck out the side in the eighth inning. So it was just one of those games that, you know, you're going to have during the course of the year. And now the Mets will finish their three-game series in Arizona with a Sunday afternoon rubber game against the Diamondbacks at 4.10 p.m. Now, like I said, it was a bullpen game, and Trevor Williams got the start, but couldn't find his footing in the loss. And like I said, the rest of the bullpen pitched well. They went six innings and allowed just one earned run. You can't ask for a better game than that the rest of the way by the bullpen. 
Now, Jeff McDean was the only Met hitter to have multiple hits, while Pete Alonzo was unhappy with the home plate's umpire strike zone, and it was frustrating him. And how about former Met Michael Conforto? Uh, after Pete, he was probably our biggest power supply man in the lineup. He underwent right shoulder surgery last week and will miss the remainder of the 2022 season. He should be ready for spring training, but the outfielder remains unsigned. And things that have just not worked out well for Michael Conforto. And uh, I wonder if he regrets not signing with the Mets last year. Uh, but that's what happens sometimes when you listen to Scott Boris. <laughs> uh, Scott Boris. You love him or you hate him, right? Now, David Peterson was actually demoted yesterday, but don't panic, Mets fans. The Mets are in need of extra reliever Saturday, and they optioned Peterson at AAA Syracuse and recalled right-hander Adonis Medina. The shuffle came after Peterson pitched a gem Friday night against the Diamondbacks, allowing one run on three hits and one walk over five and two-third innings. In three appearances this season, Peterson has pitched with 0.64 ERA. Two of those appearances came as a rotation replacement for Taiwan Walker, who is expected to return from the injured list next week. And we will be looking forward to Taiwan Walker coming out. Now, Peterson will return to start against the Braves in a May 3rd doubleheader at City Field, according to uh, Buck Showalter. Showalter even said he's earned the right to be back, and I think he understands why we had to do the move. It's never fun, especially when a guy is pitching as well as Peterson has. And the way things line up and the potential of Taiwan rejoining us, it helps our ball club. Now, during this stretch of tarred pitching to begin the season, more than just the brand names have propelled the Mets. Talk all you want about Scherzer, Bass, and Carrasco, but Peterson has joined Tyler McGill as an early gift to Showalter. Now, the Metsies entered Saturday with a 2.070 ERA from their starting rotation, which ranked first in the major leagues. McGill, with a 2.20 ERA in three starts, is scheduled to pitch the series finale Sunday against the Diamondbacks. Now, neither McGill nor Peterson began spring training as a projected member of the rotation, but injuries to Jacob DeGrom and Walker thrust them into starting jobs. Competition can bring out the best of the people, and those two guys have really taken the opportunity and run with it. There was no guaranteed job in spring training for these guys, and it's more credit to them for their work ethic than what they did during the lockout, and they just continued to mature as major league players. And I had my doubts about Peterson. I know he could go either way, but I was really impressed with Miguel, and I like what I see so far. Now, Jacob DeGrom, the king of the whole crew, uh, sidelined by a stress reaction in his right scapula, has begun testing to determine if he can start throwing. In the best-case scenario, he would return to the Mets rotation in late May after building up his arm. But even should DeGrom return on cue and give the team a full complement of veteran starters, the Mets realize there will be a need for Miguel and Peterson throughout a long summer. The Mets went to number eight on the depth chart Saturday when Trevor Williams started at Chase Field. The right-hander was needed because the rain out Monday at City Field and subsequent doubleheader Tuesday. Williams, as you recall, was required with, acquired with Javier Baez the trade deadline last year and has worked mostly as a reliever with the Mets. Last year, he started 12 games with the Cubs. Now, McGill began the season with 10 and one-third scoreless innings against the Nationals and Phillies before surrendering four runs early against the Giants on Tuesday in the first game of a doubleheader. But McGill preserved through six innings without further damage. Last season, he was four, He pitched to a 4.52 ERA for the Mets in 18 starts. Now, as we all recall, Peterson had a strong rookie season in 2020, but he struggled last year before hitting the injured list in June with an oblique strain. Before he returned, a foot fracture was discovered that cost him the rest of the season. 
He finished with a 5.54 ERA and 15 starts for the Mets. He's kind of fine-tuned himself with fine mechanical stuff, and he is moving a little bit better. When you're on the IL and watching your teammates perform, it kind of makes them hungry. And that's true for Peterson, I guess, because he wanted to be out there. And uh, last year, he wanted to be out there. And it felt like uh, he got hurt a couple times and things just didn't work out for him. Now, as I mentioned before, this is going to be the rubber game at a match day at 410. Tyler McGill, let's keep an eye on him. Let's see if he can bounce back. If the Giants start, I think he will. He's 2-0 with a 2.20 ERA with 15 Ks. And he'll be going against Mad Bum, who's actually pitched very well this year. Uh, doesn't have a win to show for it. He's 0-1, but his ERA is 1.38 with 9 Ks. And I don't think the Diamondbacks expected that from Mad Bum. So this is going to be a fun game to watch without a doubt. Now it's time to talk about Met birthdays and transactions on this date. We have three former Mets celebrating birthdays today. Uh, Pat Zachary, born this date in 1952. Tony Francesco, born this date in 1963. Uh, actually, Tony is not a player. He was a first base coach for us, I should say. And Tony was our first base coach back in 2020. And Carlos Beltran, uh, born this date in 1977. One of the best pure complete ball players the Mets have ever had. I think it's a tie between him and David Wright, and I think Francisco Lindor may have the potential to be up in that top three of great all-around ball players, the five two-player types. And on this day, Elio Chacon passed away in 1992. Uh, Elio was the original Met, got a lot of playing time in 1962. And he'll always be remembered. That I tell you, that, that 1962 team was bad, but they'll always be remembered. Everyone's going to remember their names forever. And on this date in 2001, Tampa Bay claimed Brian Rose and Mets on waivers. Who remembers Brian Rose? Now it's time to talk about our Mets Jeopardy and trivia question today. But before we do that, we want you to take note of the fact that these podcasts are available every day on your favorite carrier. So if you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe. And if you want to join the greatest baseball group there is about the New York Mets on Facebook, you need to join New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. Great content on there, great contributors. we got quality Mets fans who contribute good conversation about the Mets every day. And... Uh, what are stuff, some of the stuff we're talking about on that? Well, we showed a picture of the 69 Met yearbook. Who remembers that Met yearbook? And then we mentioned that Dwight Gooden had 384 minor league strikeouts and 544 major league strikeouts before his 21st birthday. Then we did a retrospective on Cliff Floyd and all his great career stats. And then we noted that on this date in 2012, the Mets defeat the Marlins 2-1 in a game marking the return of star shortstop Jose Reyes to New York after leaving the Big Apple from Miami as a free agent the previous offseason. Johan Santana strikes out 11 in six and two-third innings for the Mets, but leaves the game trailing 1-0 as his teammates have yet to score a run support of his pitching this year. The Mets score two runs late to win the game, but it's reliever John Rauch who gets the W. Before the game, the Mets place two key players on the disabled list, Left fielder Jason Bay, who has a broken rib, and starting pitcher Mike Pelfrey, who has swelling in his elbow. Now, in this day in 2015, the Yankees snapped the Mets franchise record-tying 
uh, 11-game winning streak with a 6-1 win. Jacob DeGrom lost three homers, two by Mark Teixeira and the other by Jacob Jacoby Ellsbury to be tagged with the loss. Michael Pineda is the win winner. Now today's Met Trivia and Jeopardy question. Who's ready? Who's got those pencils and papers ready? Today's trivia question. What player did Todd Hunway start a fight with during the, same, during the game because he thought he was stealing signs while bat in 1995? The correct answer will be given at the end of the podcast, so tune in then. Now, today's Jeopardy. Who's ready? Do you think I'm Ken Jennings or Mayim Bullock when I do these? Just curious. Anyway, the two clues. On December 6, 2011, agreed to a one-year $3.5 million contract with the Mets. At 6 feet 11 inches, he is the tallest player in the Major League Baseball history. Those are your two clues, and we'll be back at the end of the podcast to tell you how you did. And uh, once again, the group, I want to say a shout-out to Mike Freed with all his great posts. He really goes into detail about telling us everything. you got to check him out, folks. Now, on this date in April 23, 1962, Met manager Casey Stengel is fined by Commissioner Ford Frick for appearing in uniform for Rangel with Kathy Kirsch, who actually, if you're a big Batman fan, was one of the Joker's women in the 1960s Batman series. Now let's talk about our birthday boy, Pat Zachary, today. Who's ready to talk some Zach? Now, of course, Pat Zachary was involved in a big contract dispute uh, trade of Tom Seaver. And on June 15, 1977, why was Zachary involved with that? Because he was traded along with Doug Flynn, Steve Henderson, and Dan Norman to the Mets in exchange for Seaver. And some even said that Zachary was the principal figure acquired by the Mets in the deal. Now, Zachary was having a poor season in 77, and he continued in New York as he lost his first decisions to fall to 3-9 and nine combined. A four-hit gem on the, against the Montreal Expos on July 10th signaled a return to form for Zachary. Over the rest of the season, Zachary went 7-4 and four with a 3.53 ERA and was the only Mets starting pitcher to post a winning record 7-6 and six besides Seaver 7-3. and three. Now, Zachary was masterful to start his first full season as a Met. After defeating his former club on April 30th, he finished the first month of the 78th season with a 3-0 record and a 1.85 ERA. A complete game victory over Tommy Lasorda's Dodgers on June 7th improved his record to 7-1 and convinced Lasorda and Zachary as the sole Met representative on the National League All-Star team, although Zach didn't appear in the game. On July 24th, the Cincinnati Reds, and this was a big game at Shea. I was at it, and I still remember it to this day. The Reds came to Shea Stadium with Pete Rose entering the game with a 36-game hitting streak. Zachary held hitless in his first three at-bats, but Rose ultimately tied Tommy Holmes' annual record to the 37-game streak with a single to left in the seventh inning. Four batters later, Zachary was pulled in favor of Kevin Coble. Frustrated, Zachary went to kick a batting helmet sitting on the dugout steps and missed and kicked a step. He suffered contusions in his left foot and left on crutches. He was lost for the remainder of the season. So once again, frustration rears its ugly head, and it's not pretty when you get hurt because of frustration over a performance. Now, despite the fact that his 79 season was also marred by injuries, Zachary was 5-0 with a 2.89 ERA before suffering his first loss in a season-ending injury on June 8th against the Astros. He would not return to the mound until May of the following season, but managed to stay healthy over the remainder of the 80 season. 
He logged 164.2 innings pitched, his most as a Met, and pitched well in spite of his 6-10 record. His 3.01 ERA was tops among Mets starters. However, he suffered a lack of run of support. Run support. The Mets were shut out in each of Zachary's last three decisions and five times in 26 starts. On July 25th and July 30th, Zachary shut out his opponents in consecutive starts. His streak would have hit three were it not for three earned run, unearned runs in the eighth inning of his next start. Now, Zachary shut out the Cubs at Wrigley Field in 1981 season opener. He won each of his first three starts, but then fell into a five-game losing streak in which his ERA was 6.93, and opposing batters hit 330. His record stood at 5-7 with a 4.16 ERA when the player's strike interrupted the season. On the first day of the strike, Zachary's wife Sharon gave birth to their son Joshua. When play resumed, Zachary once again suffered from a lack of run support. The Mets scored one run or less in four of Zachary's 11 starts in the second half. As a result, he went 2-7 to give him a league-leading 14 losses for the season, tied with Steve Muir of the San Diego Padres. Now, in his first season, the start of the 1982 season, Zachary seemed destined to top his opening day performance from a year ago. Once again, facing the Cubs at Rickley, he took a no-hitter into the eighth inning. He walked leadoff batter uh, Keith Moreland, but then retired the next two batters and seemed to be on the verge of getting out of the inning unscathed. A walk to Ty Waller and brought pinch hitter Bob Molinaro to the plate runners on first and second. Molinaro wasted a single of the right to break up the no-hitter and the shutout. The Cubs went on to score four runs that inning, only one of them earned. Now, new manager George Bamberger had other ideas for Zachary, and he used Zachary as both a starter and weaver in 82. He went 2-3 and three with a 2.11 ERA as a reliever and earned his first career save on August 15th against the Dodgers. Now, during the offseason, the Mets traded Zachary to the Dodgers for Orge Orta. And uh, Zachary was basically a relief pitcher in uh, L.A., but he did make an emergency start against the Mets in the second game of doubleheader on August 30, 1983, and he held his former team scoreless for six innings for giving way to the bullpen. Now, it's also Carlos Beltran's birthday today. Uh wanted to cover Carlos in depth, but there's a lot to talk about Carlos. So Carlos will be one of our featured shows during the offseason. So keep listening during the offseason. We're going to have some great stuff in the offseason. We'll talk about Carlos Beltran then. Now let's talk about the final results, as we do all the time, about Mets baseball and Jeopardy. Who's ready? Okay, looks like a lot of you are. Uh, here is, again, yesterday's or today's, however you want to slice or dice it, today's trivia question. Uh, who's ready? Today's trivia question is, what player did Todd Hunley start a fight with during the game because he thought he was stealing signs while bat in 1995? Well, the correct answer is Gary Sheffield. Congrats to Dave Phillip on being the first to submit the correct answer. The second little ditty we have is the Jeopardy every day. And the two clues for our Jeopardy were on December 6, 2011, agreed to a one-year $3.5 million contract with the Mets. Second clue is at 6 feet 11 inches, he is the tallest player in Major League history. Well, the correct response to yesterday's final match Jeopardy is who is John Rauch. 
Congrats to our good buddy John Tierney on being the first to submit the correct response. Well, that's going to wrap it up for another day of Met Baseball here on New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. I want you all to tune back tomorrow where we'll discuss today's game and all the other good stuff that's going on in Met Baseball. Again, want to thank you so much for being devoted listeners. Uh, means a lot to me, and we'll talk again tomorrow. Enjoy your Sunday fun day. Step right up and greet the Mets.